It's Wednesday, mates. You're welcome. What was that? You're welcome. With Hillary Rushford. Say it again. You're welcome. In advance. Friend, hello. Happy Wednesday. I am so passionate about this topic that we are going to talk about today. It is near and dear to my heart, and I beg of and implore you, whether you are single or even as importantly, if someone in your life that you love is single, if you have single friends, if you have a single daughter or niece, this reminds me this topic of a previous episode that you and I both love. I will link it below on how to be a good friend in grief. I think it is so powerful and poignant when we can really try to put ourselves in the shoes of someone who is going through an experience that is different from our own. So especially for those of you who have been married for a long time, got married at a young age, or maybe even don't desire to ever get married, and yet there are people in your life that very much do want to be in a relationship and be in love, I hope that today... I, while presently being at a place of being married, I shouldn't say presently as though it's going to change in the future, but I mean that in the past, I was single for so long and this was an area that was so dear to my heart and so deeply painful to me. And so while I'm not sharing, I'm sharing from my scars, not my wound. (laughs) I am not, and I chose not to share from that wound, so to speak, when I was single, when it did feel very vulnerable and it was not something that I was interested in speaking in the midst of or feeling observed about. And now that I have been in a relationship for many years, it nonetheless is so important to me to, in hindsight, talk about um, because I, I remember it viscerally and I want to remember it viscerally. I want to stay deeply empathetic to myself in that season of my life and to anyone who finds themselves in it. So this conversation arose because I was hosting a Q&A over on my Instagram stories and just said, how can I help? You know, what what do you want to talk about? And so many people happened to message, do you have any advice on dating, on singleness for those of us that are looking for our person? And so I asked the audience over there, is this something that you want to talk about on the podcast? Because I care so much about the topic. I did not feel like I could try to answer it in a 15 or 60 second slide on Instagram stories. And I try to be conscious and cautious whenever possible about the topics that are just too tough to speak about in our short attention spans on Instagram. I love Instagram and I try to give as much depth as quickly as possible over there. But it is also why I am so grateful that you spend time with me in both places and we can have these deeper conversations on the podcast to really honor the times that we need them. So handful of things that I want to share today. Number one, having a deep dream or desire that you don't know if it will come true is one of the most painful things in life. And I think that that is the important place for me to start in any conversation about dating, singleness, being single, wanting to get married, wanting to find your person, feeling lonely, feeling heartbroken. This is a deep dream or desire that you don't know if it will come true. 
and no one else knows whether or not it will come true for you. You can spend years equally trying to get pregnant. You can spend so much money and energy on IVF and it still may not happen. And that is why when people are in the infertility journey, it is, from what I have observed, so deeply painful because you don't have a guarantee that there is going to be a happy baby. Statistically, most likely, yes, but it doesn't happen for everyone. And another example of that would be spending years or money and time and energy pursuing trying to be on Broadway or making it in the music industry or getting your book published. It may not happen. And we don't like to focus on this specifically for other people. We sometimes can be aware of it for ourselves because we are so up close to it, but when someone else brings their story, and what I mean is when you as a single person say this to someone who is in a relationship, to someone who is married, it can be very easy for there to be some sort of response back, like, you know, oh, it'll happen for you. Just be patient. It'll happen when you're not looking for it. In the same way that I have become aware that p- women who are trying to get pregnant are told this all the time, that I have now learned because other people have shared how often people are like, oh, you get pregnant when you're just not stressing about it. And they're like, yeah, that's not helpful. <laughs> and it still has that implication of, oh, don't be such a worry wart. It'll just happen. You're just trying too hard or you're being too impatient. The truth is, we want to have control over our lives. And therefore, when we see anyone else who doesn't have control over theirs, we get this quick trigger of, no, no, everybody can have control. I can have control. You can have control. And it feels so easy and flip and glib to say to someone else, oh, I'm sure it's, I'm sure it all works out. You know, everything happens for a reason. All in God's timing. When we are the ones who is who are deeply in, I have a deep dream or desire and I don't know if it will come true, we know that that isn't the real answer. But it's interesting that I think when we are not in that deep pain or it's not in that area, we can very easily want to be like, want to you know, not believe that that's true because life would be a lot easier. I've shared many times the story of when I didn't get the cast for a fifth year in a row with the Radio City Rockettes that I was so struck by how many of my friends said, like, you know, I, I'm sure it's because God has a better plan. And these were not religious friends. <laughs> these were all theater friends, not saying that the two are mutually exclusive, but they were people that I realized it was triggering for them. If Hillary could not get recast, I could not get recast because they're looking at me thinking she's been cast in this for years. Like, if she's not safe, maybe I'm not safe. And That was so many years ago now, but at the time, I had a friend who had a baby who was born without a diaphragm. He was in the NICU having surgeries as soon as he was born, and it allowed me to have the perspective that if I don't know why God would allow baby Ira to be born without a diaphragm, if I don't know why bad things happen to good people, then I need to be at peace that I don't know why good things don't happen to good people. And that's really what we're talking about here. Why do you not get the good thing of love and of having a baby and of having a career that fulfills you? Doesn't that seem unfair? Why would a good God withhold these things? And I think we can struggle more with that, whereas we are so overwhelmed by like, you know, 
war and genocide and famine and where we're just like, I don't know why bad things happen. I can't wrap my head around it. I can have this sort of existential peace that I don't know how to solve genocide. I know that I don't have control over that, but it feels like I should have control over my own life. I've shared before, one of my great questions for God when I get to heaven is why do I have multiple friends who've gotten pregnant when they were devastated and absolutely did not want to be, and many friends who very much want to be pregnant and have been struggling for years and still aren't. Like, I, I do, not, do not have the answers to this. So a common response can be this sense of, oh, you'll find someone, you know? And I think the implication there is like, you're cute, you're nice. Of course, someone like you will get married. And I and it's it's said in love and it's said well-meaning and it's said to kind of bolster you up, you know? But I think about there's multiple women in my DMs that I've formed relationships with who have physical disabilities. Um and you who who walk with a cane or some other thing and it's it's brought them insecurity that they might not be able to find a relationship and uh one of them did during the pandemic and it was magical and amazing and she's engaged and i just remember her sharing specifically because of my disability i thought all the more so this will never happen for me and i have women that are over 40 over 50 who have been single who wanted to be married who wanted to be mothers you know, who share with me, I'm accepting that that probably is not going to happen anymore at my age. And I think about them and I I realize how casually we might say something to a single Hillary. Oh, you'll meet someone. Oh, the right guy's out there for you. And then I wonder, would we say it if I had a physical disability? Would we say it if I was over 50? And so that brings us back again to the fact that we're trying to be encouraging, but what we're really doing is we're implying that there is some ladder and that if you are ideal enough, it should work out for you. You're a nice couple. You would be great parents. You are you look thin. You therefore look like you're in good health. I'm sure you won't have trouble you know, getting pregnant. But the truth is there is no ladder of success that if you are good enough, you get to be married, have a baby, be on Broadway. And I think that we make small comments from a good place, trying to be helpful, encouraging, really kind of selfishly because we want to believe that everything in our life can be controlled. So we want that for the other person, making external judgments and doing so in a way that implies that there is this worthiness, that there is this just be patient, don't stress about it. The truth is, if you are single today, I don't know if you will ever meet your person. And I hate that for you. I hated it for myself, that I was very rational. I knew the the facts. I knew the statistics. I knew it wasn't a guarantee. And I also will say for those of you who might share my faith, specifically as a Christian woman, the older that I got, the more of a sense I felt that how rare it would be not only to meet an incredible guy at this, uh, at uh, you know, as I got older, but also someone who shared my faith. And I don't say that to make you feel scared. I say it 
to honor that you are 100% valid, that it is scary to have a dream and not know if it will happen for you, whatever that dream is. And the one I had for the longest that felt the most insecurity around it, insecurity meaning like I really don't know if it'll happen. I don't know if my efforts will be enough. There isn't something else I can pivot to. Like in my theater career, I then pivoted to having a business. there, there isn't another pivot in, in that area. If you can't have children biologically, you can pivot to adoption. There is no pivot to how else am I going to feel this like true lifelong, you know, I'm like cro- crossing my fingers, this like linking with another person if it isn't in this romantic way. So notice that if people are trying to make you feel more chill about it, They are probably trying to do that for themselves and their control over their dreams. And you can hear that, ideally not feel defensive or resistant about it, be like, oh, interesting. Subconsciously in your head, think like, oh, interesting. You're trying to have a lot of control over yourself because you don't want to admit that you too don't have control over these things. Second thing I want to say is go to therapy, grow in yourself through books and podcasts and all of the things, not because that is why you are single, but because it will both make your marriage better when it happens and your singleness happier in the meantime. I would get so defensive at any implication along these lines that like I wasn't working hard enough. I wasn't good enough. I needed to work on myself and then I, I would get married. And I don't think that was the what people were trying to imply, but it was such a fine line. It was so easy to imply that there was something better, easier, more palatable, more preferable about my sister or my friends who had gotten married at 22 or 24. And I don't actually think that was the implication of people saying things like, you know, work on yourself and get happier within yourself and all of that. But it there is actually something that you can do in addition to dating and continuing to put yourself out there that moves you closer to what you want, which is ultimately happiness. Right? We we desire this relationship because it will make us feel safe, it'll make us feel loved, it'll bring us joy, it'll bring us companionship, all of these things kind of go back to, I believe it will make me happier. So coincidentally, right after getting asked about this topic, I started reading a book. I'm only halfway through it, but so far I highly recommend it. I was listening to the audiobook. I, same day, ordered the uh, tangible book because you know when I really love a book, I want both forms. So I'm going to pick that up Um Uh, later today and I'm going to start listening again to the audio and like highlighting as I go. So I will link this book below. It's called The How of Happiness. Not a new book. Came out quite a few years ago. Uh, Just kind of stumbled upon it in my style research and and kind of thought, oh my gosh, how has nobody recommended this book to me? How have I never heard about this book? It just, just sort of happened as I came up in a search on something. So far, I am finding it so powerful that I'm like, how did nobody tell me about this? So the basic premise based very much on data and research, which I love a good data and research book, is that 50% of our happiness is innate. 
it's ingrained. It's in our DNA. It's who we are. This is based on studies of twins, fraternal, identical, separated at birth, raised together, etc. 10% of our happiness is affected by our circumstances, whether we get the job, whether we get married, what house we live in, how much money we have. And 40% of our happiness is based on our thoughts, our beliefs, our behavior. Pretty much everything we talk about here on the You're Welcome podcast. So the basic premise is that circumstances don't make us as happy as we think they do, which doesn't mean that they don't make us happy. Because, and I love this because she specifically talked about relationships multiple times in this book. And that's why I was like, oh my gosh, I'm, I, again, I'm not even finished with it, but I feel like it's going to bless you if you are in that headspace. And so she said, the data shows married people are happier. And that in and of itself, again, really validates. If you're like, I very much want to be married, then it is not helpful. Anyone who says, oh, just enjoy your single years. It's so great when you're single. And you're like, oh, really? Yeah, nice nice for you to say. Mm-hmm, because you're married, right? Yep, well, statistically, that says that you're happier. So I am not being silly. I'm not just pulling this out of a hat. The science literally says you're happier than me. So stop trying to make it sound like I should just poof, make myself happier. <laughs> like There is real evidence that says we are happier when we are married. But she talks about data that shows that that happiness faded around two years into marriage unless it was intentionally expanded with the thoughts, with the intentions. And I realized in reading, this is naturally what I do in my marriage. I wasn't thinking about it from a data perspective, but I... I look for all the time the things that I'm grateful for, the things that I am happy for. I don't take it for granted. I don't let it become second nature. I don't let little negative thoughts build up of all the things that are bugging me about Jeremy. I don't allow myself to you know, idealize anyone else thinking I would have a better marriage, a happier marriage if I was with someone else, if my husband was different. Like I really focus on my mindset. And granted, we are you know, we had two weddings. So our timeline is a little bit uh, hard to determine, but we've been married like two and a half years, let's say. So I could absolutely still be in that that bubble of this is when we tend to be happy from it. But I see so many people in my life that are very happy in their marriage that make those same just intentional focuses. And they just are so grateful for their partner and they talk about all of the reasons you know, that they are. So what I loved in this book is that our question is, how can I become happier? Like exactly how. You're telling me if I get married, great, but I can't necessarily control that. You're telling me that also it will fade, so in and of itself, that isn't the answer. And the whole point of her book is to say, here are 12 research-based paths, and here are action steps to implement them. And she has a test that you go through to determine which 12 you most naturally are inclined to do to kind of say, this is the lowest hanging fruit. Like lean into the natural tendencies. And I really appreciated that because going through her test, there's absolutely ones that are not so normal for like so obvious for me. And I could eat, sometimes I think we pick up those things to be like, oh, everyone in culture is saying I've got to do fill in the blank to be happier. Like you guys know exercise is something I struggle with. So yes, exercise, moving your body, meditation, all of that is one of the 12. And I know that that makes us, makes our brains happier. I don't know why I struggle with that one. And so 
being able to rank this and be like, you know what? If that one is a little harder for me, let me not start with that. Let me start with the things that feel easier, feel more natural, and kind of get the benefit out of them. But I, it's powerful for me to note that because these are the same 12 paths for all of us. It's not saying while you're single, try to use these things in the meantime that the married folks don't need. It's saying when we use these, when when our circumstance isn't what we want, we aren't yet married in this instance, it is going to make us happier now. And when we get married, it is going to help us elongate the happiness that comes from that circumstance that otherwise could fade. And then you you know, quote unquote, achieved the marriage checkbox. And then a few years later, you're either in an unhappy marriage or you're divorced. And I think that's in so many things. You want the business, you want the baby, you want the financial success, you want the house. And the data shows the thing itself, it it will make us happier to a point, but it in and of itself won't. And I think that duality of both things being true. Will you be statistically happier married? Yes. You are not crazy. This is not silly you are very valid in wanting what you want. Simultaneously, will you exclusively be happier from being married and for all time? Absolutely not. Therefore, it's our mindset that matters. And if you start using that now to be happier in the singleness, you will also then be even happier on the marriage side. And I think another part of this for me is when you are growing happier and healthier, you will subconsciously seek out people that are happier and healthier. And I think I always heard the implication as you will make yourself more attractive. If you can work on yourself, you'll be more palatable and appealing to other people. Yes, sure, maybe. But what about the flip of you will be attracted to people who are also happier and healthier? And I think that is a really powerful reason because the, the, the happier and healthier you are internally, you're going to see that in other people. You're going to see the red flags. You're going to see the people that self-sabotage. You're going to see the people that are negative, the people that are manipulative, and you're going to save yourself that time in relationships. When I look at some of my friends that have invested in bad dating relationships for a far too long period of time they're not that emotionally happy and healthy. And so they're spending, a, they're creating a lot of extra angst and anguish in that singleness season because instead of just being like, I don't think this guy's the one. Like, what? let, let me just, I, I don't want to waste my time with this. They're spending months and years hung up on someone who is not their person, so they're not going to get any closer to marriage. They're just creating chaos and it doesn't mean that they weren't healthy enough to meet the right person, but it's like they're expending all of this energy on the wrong people in the meantime. And I, that's so nuanced to say, but I'm just, I'm so passionate about saying, making it so clear, if anything I say, you hear as the slightest sliver of me saying it is your fault somehow that you are single. You, you haven't done the work to be marriage material. That is 100% false and not what I'm saying. But I am saying that while we work on ourselves, we're going to make that process even better now and in the future and actually choose even better people, which is going to make us happier. Number three, I only have one story. I only have one marriage from which I can speak. And I've always said this about dating that, or about marriage rather, is that 
the people you want to take marriage advice from have only been married once. I mean, maybe, you know, like maybe they've been married more than once, but someone who's like, oh yeah, I've had seven marriages. Let me tell you all the ways in which I found them and what our courtship was like and how long we waited till we got married and what really made us have a great marriage. You're like, really don't know that I really want to take advice from you if you've been married seven times. But that means everybody has one story. Like, you know, if you've had one, one baby uh, that, that you yourself have carried, you've got one birth story and that is all you can speak to. So I only have one story, but I am so grateful I didn't meet Jeremy earlier. And I think that that is really powerful for someone to hear that as much as you want it now, it very well may be that when you meet your person, you can see oh my gosh, this was like such good timing. Or this was the only way it was going to be. This was the only way we were going to meet. First off, he was in San Francisco. Uh, He literally lived in a different city until a year before we met. Uh, I was at another church. Things had to fall apart for me at that church and I had to go through some really painful things in order to end up at the church where we met. I have a girlfriend who is in love right now and um, her boyfriend was married until, you know, just a couple of years ago. Uh, so it may be that it's, it, it may not be you, but it may be them. They are in another city. They are in another relationship. It may not be you as in you personally, but like you're at this job right now. You're at this church. You're at this apartment building. You're at this city. Um, number two, Jeremy was figuring himself out in his 20s. I mean, today he is successful and mature and driven, but he was kind of a late bloomer. You know, if we'd met at 25, I would have been like very nonplussed. There's like no way I would have dated him. There's like no way he would have dated me. Like, so again, maybe your person is in their own growth season to match you. It isn't that you are not yet at some level, but they're not at that level. They're healing from their ex. They're going to therapy over something with their parents. They're a late bloomer and figuring out their career. They're completely insane in in medical school right now, and you would be miserable dating them, but then you're going to meet them afterwards when they actually have the space and bandwidth. I mean, that's how I feel as an entrepreneur. I think I was just so insane during that period. I'm so grateful that we met at the place in my business when we did. You know, I would have been too I would have been too stressed and anxious for Jeremy. Not for all people, which again is not to say that in that season I could not have been in a relationship. But I see that his balance of calm yet driven is what I want for my life in the decades to come. So in hindsight, I may also have been attracted more to people who were more high strung because that's where I was at, or they were too chill because I was just so exhausted. So it's not that I wasn't good enough or I wasn't at the right place emotionally. I was too stressed. I was too busy. I just was evolving into the sweet spot of being at my best self to meet the best partner for me. And I think, again, that subtle difference is so key that it wasn't about me being good enough for him. It was me being in the right, in the best place for the best partner for me and vice versa, certainly for him as well. But I think so often our mindset goes to this feeling of like, we're trying to be chosen. We're trying to be good enough. And 
truthfully, we're going to attract and be attracted, most importantly, to a different person when we're five years older and we have five more years of maturity, which is not to say that it also doesn't work out when people are in are, are meet when they're younger. There's so many people in my life that met when they were 22 and they have great marriages today, a decade later. And so it is sometimes just their story that their growth path was going to grow right alongside that person. And they were either going to change together or they weren't going to change that much. I have changed wildly (laughs) from who I was at 22, and I don't know if I would have been with someone who would have changed as wildly and in the same ways that we would have continued to grow together. I have three girlfriends that I went to college with, and, you know, in our 20s, they were all, they were like, they were all married and engaged. And that was really hard. I felt very left out. I felt very left behind. And now one of them is divorced. One of them had two very long, very unhealthy relationships back to back. I mean, spent, you know, a decade with the wrong person in something that was very mentally and emotionally unhealthy. And the third is in a a, a, a very unhappy marriage. It's it's not a good marriage. And so I think when you have a little bit of that perspective and Of course, there's going to be people listening at all different ages and stages, but specifically for my my girls that are younger or that you're listening as a mother and your daughter is younger in her 20s, I kind of feel like I missed, like I missed my first divorce by being protected to not meet the wrong person at the wrong time. Which again is not to create fear that that is going to happen if you get married in your twenties, because I have so many amazing couples in my life that met and you know married when they were twenty-two. But I also have seen so many stories where I'm like, well, if it was going to be 50-50 one or the other, I'm grateful that I was more mature, more grounded, more clear and confident in who I was, more secure, all of those things to be really confident that I'm in a strong, healthy marriage that it was going to go the distance. So at the time, I felt behind, but maybe I was in the, the best place. And I don't mean best like in a competition, but I honor that it can feel like that. It can feel like other people have been chosen and you haven't. You are left out. You are the least attractive. You are the you know, least likable or whatever. But what if in your story, the person you married today would lead to a less great life than the person you meet in three years? Because three years from now, you are going to be even more epic and healthy. You can't even imagine right now how freaking phenomenal you are going to be in three years. And that guy or girl is on the same journey. And in three years, they're going to be so amazing and you're going to have this phenomenal relationship. And if you both settled for someone else right now, you'd be like, it, it was okay, you know? Finally, number four, I I'm so hesitant whenever I share on this topic, and it's why I like didn't even want to try in 60 seconds on Instagram, because I don't know if there's anything anyone could have said that would have made me feel better when I was single. I think anyone who was married who said something, 
it still felt like there was this hint of con condensation. Condensation is like the water on the window when it's hot or cold inside or outside. Is it also the appropriate way to say condescending? But you know what I'm saying. There was a sense of like, oh, honey, you'll get there someday. You know, you, or, or rather, you'll get here. You'll get here someday. Uh, you know, like, oh, it must be so hard. And I don't think that it was them. It's not like there's anyone that comes to mind where I'm like, ooh, I didn't like the way they said that. But I just feel like anyone who tried, I heard it as pity versus empathy. Pity says, ugh, I can't imagine. Like, I don't know what I would do if I was you. And it's really saying like, thank God I'm never going to have to imagine, right? I will never have to go through something like that. Like, because I am protected. I somehow in my golden tower, I'm going to like look down on you and be like, oh, it must be so hard out there. Empathy says, I can imagine. Here's how it's similar in my life. And that's why for me, I look at this as all of the deep dreams and desires, you know, this is not just are you married or not. This is are you a dreamer or are you not a dreamer or are you a dreamer who got all of their dreams? <laughs> and most of the people in my life are still dream seeking. Not all of them. I feel like my sister kind of got all her dreams. She's like married in her forever home. She has three gorgeous babies. I think she's good, you know, but most of the people in my life I've got a ton of single friends who are dreaming of being married. I have a ton of friends trying to get pregnant, dreaming of being mothers. I have tons of friends wondering if they should freeze their eggs, wishing that they'd done it when they were younger, unsure if they can afford it, like not sure if they're going to get the dream of motherhood, not sure how much to bank on financially the dream of motherhood, if they don't even know if it's going to pay off, if they don't even know that they want it. Uh, I know so many people trying to succeed in their career, pay off their debt, be financially secure. I mean, honestly, even just thinking of someone having a deep dream or desire that they don't know if it's going to come true would be feeling safe as a person of color in this world or wondering if your gay child will feel safe in this world. I think there's so many applications of people that are like, I want this so desperately and I, I don't know if it's ever going to happen. And so I think in that way, I hope that we can focus more on that on that solidarity, on that like there really is a lot of people who can empathize with wanting a dream and and not knowing if it's going to happen and then noticing when we're in those conversations. If you're talking to someone like my sister who is lovely and going to be super supportive, but you might also be like, she's got all the dreams though. So I don't know that she can really get it. But you might also be having a conversation with someone where you're like, you know what? She is married, but I am going to look for the fact that she too has dreams that she doesn't know if they're going to happen. So I do think she can empathize. I don't think we're so far apart that this is just coming from a place of pity. And yet, I know if I was single listening to this podcast, what I would say back to you is, sure, but as long as you have your person – you aren't weathering any of that alone, which is 100% true. You know, it is not equal suffering. Comparing our suffering never, ne never helps. I mean, we either are diminishing how hard it is for someone else who we think has it easier, and then we're just making them feel 
you know, bad and diminishing their pain. That doesn't make us feel better. Or we're shaming ourselves for struggling when we are like, well, but those people have it worse. Well, that doesn't make us feel better either. But I can, I, I can't not tell you that that's what I did, that that's how I would feel if I was single today. I would not have been helped by thinking about my married friends who are trying to get pregnant. Like I would be like, I do, okay, I get it. We both have a dream and we don't know what's going to happen, but at least you have your husband and there is a pivot that you could adopt, right? I'm not saying it won't be heartbreaking. I'm not saying it won't be devastating, but I'm just being honest. Like at least you have your person, right? Because for me, I'm going through this 100% on my own and there's no other pivot. So I just want to, I, I again, you guys know always I'm like, it's the and. It's the both things are true. Yes, there are so many people with dreams that they that are deep, deep desires of their heart and they don't know if it's going to come true. And let us focus on that and use that to feel less alone in our desire to be married, to realize there actually are a lot more people that can empathize. And it isn't like 90% of people have this and I'm over here in the 10%. Like it is a much broader uh, universal experience. I shouldn't say universal, but a lot of people go through it. And simultaneously – it is in its own vertical. Like we are wired for love. Romantic love has been present since the Bible. Like, you know, there there was man and he's better to be alone, so I will give him a helper. And like everybody came off Noah's Ark two by two. And even if you don't believe that, you know, the Bible is the inspired word of God, it's a really, really old book <laughs> that has all of the same stories of the fact that we, you know, we we want to have a partner. We want to have a person. Um, and yes, along with infertility and racism and war and so many other things that have existed since way back then. But that desire to just not be alone is everything. I mean, as as heinous as war or injustice may be, there are communities that band together. You know, it doesn't make it easy, but it does make it that you are going through a hard thing and you're not alone. And I just honor that when you are alone, it feels like you know, even the hardest things you can imagine, at least those people are going through them together. And you just want a person. You just want to not have to go through those things alone. Um, and I just really honor that, that there's so many hard things in life. Um, to be struggling financially, to, you know, lose someone you love to death or disease. And it feels really intense when you don't have your person that you're going through that with. And the, really the best thing I can say is that I see you and that I am so sorry you're hurting if you are. I say you are because I also want to acknowledge you may be single and like kind of want someone, but you may not feel it to this intensity that I'm sharing I felt um, and I therefore feel for others. But most of the people in my life, this is how they feel. It is a deep pain and desire. And I will also be honest, yes, a healthy marriage is great. It really is as good as I thought it would be. I love being married it was all it's cracked up to be like, you know, like as good as advertised. So I also come at it from the place of honoring as well 
I get why this is your desire. And yes, there, there absolutely is happiness in it. But I would recommend that you read this book below if it speaks to you that, again, I am reading right now too, and join me in finding those few paths of happiness that you're going to work on. Know that I am also working on them in my, you know, in my marriage, and I wonder in hindsight if my time when I was single could have been less painful if I had utilized some of these strategies. And I don't know. And I just want to be honest about that. I don't I don't feel like I did it well. I wasn't in this great mind space of like, I'm just trusting. God's going to be, you know, bring me my person. I just feel really peaceful. And honestly, I, I don't have any friends immediately that come to mind that are in that place. Uh, same thing with my friends who are trying to get pregnant. Same thing, you know, just like people are like, no, I, I, I don't like this. <laughs> I want this to be done. I want to know the answer. I want to have the thing. I also want to say, so, oh, sorry. So that's just to say, like, I, I don't know how much these things would have helped me. And I, I, I want to say that in humility because I don't want to diminish. Just read this book and it's going to be better. <laughs> like, read this book on happiness and then you'll be happy. I don't know, but I do know when I read this, I was like, oh, this is research-based. This is actionable. This is specific. This is a thing you can do. And at least that's the way my brain works. When it's like, just, just calm down. You're like, well, how the heck do I calm down? You know, like, just don't be so anxious. Well, tell me exactly what you did to lower your anxiety. And it takes us all the way back to the very first, second episode, I think, of the podcast. Scroll all the way back and start again at the beginning. I shared, like, here's a bunch of different small things that I did to heal my anxiety. And that's what I kind of love about this book is like, here's action steps towards happiness that when when you're like, well, I would be happiest if I had found my person and I'm going on all the dates and I'm going on all the apps and I don't know what else to do. Here's something actionable that I can do. I also want to say, stop waiting until you're married to do the things. Travel alone, go to fancy dinners alone, go to a Broadway show alone, invest in the beautiful couch that you want, you want you know, wear, wear the beautiful underwear, whatever it is that you catch yourself thinking you would do or could do or will do if or when you're with someone, that I can tell you that I 100% did when I was single and it feels great. I don't think my mindset was the best in terms of, you know, not having like depression and loneliness and sadness and all of that over being single. My my thoughts and my feelings, I don't think we're in the best place, though, again, I don't mean to sound comparative, but better than a lot of women I know because I did have confidence and clarity about what I wanted. I didn't stay in emotionally unhealthy relationships, et cetera. So it's not like it was so unhealthy, but I just, I was, I was angry. I was frustrated. I was jealous. I was, you know, just like all these big emotions. But I I did I am I do feel like I made good choices in my actions. I don't love how long I was single for, but I do love that I 100% built my business by myself. I built my wealth. I hired a financial planner when I was single. I decorated a gorgeous apartment by myself. I traveled Europe for 4 months. I love 
that I feel like a badass, honestly, compared to the woman, the hypothetical woman, by the way, there's no one specifically I'm thinking about, but like the hypothetical woman who had a husband with a good paying job and that's how she was able to take the risk to start her career or that's why she was able to go on all of those Broadway auditions. Like I didn't get anything handed to me with with a ring that was like, and you don't have to worry about rent, and you don't have to worry about roommates, and you don't have to worry about health insurance. Like, there was none of that. And yes, to me, that makes what I've accomplished way more impressive. And again, I don't mean that compared to anyone else's story that I'm thinking of. I'm not being like, look at me. I'm just meaning in my own head against hypothetical people, I am like, i Look Look at everything I did, and I did this on my own. And I do think there was really a power in bringing that into my marriage. I very much love being married. I love being a partnership. I, you know, and something I didn't even, like, write in my notes to talk about today, but is pr- probably a whole other conversation. I just moved my fear of being single to a fear of my husband dying. Like, the fear of being alone is still there. Now, maybe for you, that might be a fear of divorce or a fear of infidelity. Those are not my fears based on my path, based on my personality, based on my person. Um, Mine is that he's going to die. And so there is still that fear of being alone. But there also is, as, as terrifying and real as that is, there also is an undercurrent of like, I've I've built my business. I know my finances. I've traveled on my own. Like I've I've lived a life. And it's not that I'm like, oh, if he dies, it'll be no big deal. But I do think there is a different undercurrent. If I was terrified of him dying and I had never lived on my own, I had never handled these things in my life. I think we see those stories a lot, unfortunately, of women who do lose their person. And it's like there's so much stuff that they just don't know because he always handled the finances and he made all of the money and, you know, those kinds of things. So finally, I encourage you to focus on two things. Number one, all the stories you don't want. And there are so many of them. The people you know who got divorced are in unhappy marriages you know, wish that they had pursued their career before they had children. I am not saying look at that to gloat and be like, well, at least I'm not in your position. I'm just being real that it is not that everyone is married, happy, and happy and thriving but you. And getting married five years ago doesn't mean everything would be better for you now. Look at those stories where you're like, oh gosh, I was so jealous when that person got married. And honestly five, 10 years later, like it it didn't work out. And I think it's just, it is important to balance being a realist because I think a lot of us tend to be either an idealist or a catastrophizer. Like we think that 90% of people are on the happy side and then there's us. And I hear that in my DMs all the time. And I don't know the actual makeup of the people in your life, but I will hear, all of my friends are married. I'm the only single one. And I just also wonder, like, is that really true? Or are you focused on that? Are they all really happy? Is there anything in your life that you realize, like, but I'm able to do this and I'm able to do that? Like, just truly being more realistic about the fact that it isn't as black and white as everyone who's married is happy and has it all. And then there's those of us that are waiting to see whether or not we get to join the club. And I know that was just so much 
my mindset. And so I don't say that to be cavalier. I say that to say there's like 99 tiny little thoughts in there. And if you can just start unraveling a few of them at a time to realize not everybody is married and not everybody is happy. And if I'd gotten it when I wanted it, it doesn't mean that I would actually, you know, be happier in a better place. And number two, focus on the marriages you see that are really good because there also are a ton of those. And they may be people who met younger or older, were previously married, never had kids, have many kids. Like they can look really different. But I think pay attention to what you see in them that you feel matters. Like how how they communicate, what values they share, how much time they spend together. Not like the weddings, the babies, the cute pics, the fact that they have a bigger, you know, apartment than you do because they can afford more. But like what do you observe seems to be the real keys to the kind of marriage that you want for yourself. And to see that one value is like you get more time to observe and research at an older age, at a wiser age, at a less stressed out age, whatever it is, to to really go into that decision with more wisdom than our friends who got married at 22. And it's kind of like, whew, praise the Lord that worked out. You know, like they didn't have a whole lot to go off of because they were so young. They had so little life experience. And I am thrilled that like my sister and brother-in-law Jeremy's brother and his wife, like multiple couples, like the couple that married us. We, we know so many amazing couples that got married that young, but it, it feels a little bit more like luck, you know? They just didn't have aren't, – aren't our brains still developing until we're like 25 or something crazy like that? So it does feel like kind of luck <laughs> that it ends up working out. And like I said earlier, you either – you you really grow and change together on the same path and you had that wisdom at 22 and one of you doesn't realize like, oh shoot, there's, you know, something that I didn't know here. So I think just looking at that, finding that true balance, that it isn't all this idealism of once I get married, everything's, you know, going to be fine. And I don't think that you're trying to be Pollyanna-ish about it. But, but looking at those like, you know what, that did like that did end in divorce. I know that there was that time when it felt like everyone was getting married, but gosh, like three of those nine couples have split up now. And I, if I had to pick, I'd rather have been single through my 20s than have gone through a divorce. So maybe that was God or the universe protecting me and also not being negative about it and being like, I also honor marriage is really good and that's why I want it. And I'm going to like learn everything that I can from those people that I see that seem to be about the real stuff so that... I am attracted to the best person for my best self, and I really can have, you know, the best marriage. All right, my friend, this is not an exhaustive conversation. If you have other questions, please swipe up. Go to hillaryrushford.com slash podvip. I would love to hear from you. We can do a follow-up if there are more specific questions. But I really hope that this spoke to so many people in so many stages and absolutely a conversation that we'll continue having. But just so much love and support for wherever you are in your story and truly whatever your story has been, is today, or is meant to be in the future. I will see you back here next Wednesday with grace and gumption. You're welcome in advance. Till next Wednesday. 